I mean, my heart's beating, my heart's beating, my hands are shaking, my hands are shaking, but I'm still shooting, I'm still getting the headshots, it's like, boom, headshot, boom, headshot, boom, headshot. Just gonna send it. Alrighty then. Welcome back to another episode of Just Evan Senate Podcast. Um, all right, so this one is going to be uh, kind of the next step to shit. What episode was that? Um, the episode title was "So You Think You Want a Working Dog." This one will be "So You Do Want a Working Dog." Um, let's see, what, what episode number was that? This ha- I mean, it was literally one of my, probably my first, I don't know, in, um, first 15 episodes, I believe, uh, two years ago. Let's see, what was it? Which one was it? Episode 11, I mean, I nailed it. Episode 11, that was April of 2020. So literally almost exactly two years ago. This episode's been requested, I guess, uh, a few times since then. It just took me two years to feel like doing it. All right, so this episode is going to include, uh, I have not gone back. I don't remember everything that, I mean, I, I have an idea of the things that I discussed, but I don't remember verbatim each thing that I said. So I may repeat some of the things Um from that episode in this one, you'll you you might not even remember what I said in it. So, either way, the things that need to be said to preface what will be in this episode that was not in that episode. That that episode was, I mean, all intents and purposes was trying to convince you you don't need a working dog. You may want one, or you may think you want one. But very few people actually have the necessity, the need for one. And they a working dog is not all it's cracked up to be. It's not all the fun stuff you see on TV or in the movies or whatever. Man, honestly, they're a pain in the fucking ass, dude. I mean, that's just all there is to it. They're a pain in the ass. Do I need a working dog? Me, personally, no, I do not. I have one because the, and I'll cover this in my, uh, in my episode. I, I have one simply because the act of training dogs was the allure to me. Okay, I've had German Shepherds my whole life. That doesn't mean I've had working dogs my whole life. It means I've had German Shepherds. I'll probably touch on some of that as well. Um, but I, I, at the time, this was, I don't even know what year this was. It, it was more of a, all right, well, I want another German shepherd, you know, living on my own instead of at my family's house that I've, I've, I've had them since I was a kid. And I want one that's going to protect the house. That's probably, it may be 
very well may be where you are in, in your your thinking right now. But um, it became quickly became more in my search for a working dog. It 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 turned into something else, if if you will. It turned into this working dog thing is cool. Like the process of of building this dog. So think about guns. If like, okay, I want I need a bolt rifle. And then you got to looking at instead of just, you know, buying an an AI or buying a Savage or a Remington 700 SPS or whatever, the act of, let's say, gunsmithing kind of tickled your pickle. And that is what drug you into the game of long-range shooting or the, well, really, the art of long-range shooting because I feel like it is martial art. Um, Not in the same sense, but kind of in the same sense as your traditional martial arts. It's just, I can fuck you up way over there as opposed to standing in front of you but uh yeah so think of it that way for me my story my story was the the process of making a dog taking a dog from a puppy to then train the training aspect of the dog and then you have this finished product not only that but also the making the breeding of of working dogs um i was into so um we'll get into a little bit of that as well uh in, in case um in case you didn't know um i've got well one now but i've had many many working dogs and i'm in the, i'm coming very close to uh getting a another female malinois or dutch shepherd i'm not sure um, it won't be another German Shepherd. I'm, Major is my last German Shepherd, and he's damn sure my last male. I'm done with males. I've had my I've had a ton of thugs. I don't need no more. Uh, I just I want a, a badass bitch for many reasons. Um, and I would I honestly suggest you, if you if this if if I'm speaking to you in this episode and you are you've checked off boxes after I've done what done this episode. And this is what you're still wanting, and still what you're still needing. Then, honestly, I'd look at a female for for multiple reasons. And and one reason, believe it or not, if you have, if all is the same, meaning the equality of dog, male and or female. Let's say the litter mates. And let's say like the litter is they're they're all evenly distributed on how good they are, their qualities, and what you want, uh, what 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 you would want in a working dog, protection dog, whatever. The female females actually have a greater instinct of of protecting a home more so than a male. Um, a male's obviously it's my territory, but it's a lot. If if you will, it's a lot about him. It's more of a hey, this is my house. You're an intruder. It's more of a dick measuring contest, um, and more so than that guardian feeling. If you will, I'm I'm putting a lot of personifications to dogs, and that I'm doing it for a sake of example. But that is a problem people have when they're in this position where they feel like they want a working dog. They personify a dog too much to where they make bad decisions regarding the dog, and we'll definitely get into that. 
Um, but a, a female is definitely a way to go. But first things first, I, you guys will be so proud of me. I'm, this is like completely not my style. This is completely not what I typically do in my podcasts. You know me. I'm literally fucking off the top of the dome. Everything. To my dismay sometimes. But with this, this is a, a topic that's so, there's so many moving parts to it that I was like, okay, I need to sit down and outline this episode. I have a, not, this isn't a full, like, legal size paper, but these little small staple flip-over notepads. I don't really know what they are. They? Five by ten size. I got five pages of the of it filled out. And I wasn't even finished, but I've gotten most of it, and I can finish it off the top of the dome. But the majority of it I've got written down, outline. Like literal like English class outline form. Like I'm on I'm on shit today. So why do you want a working dog? Okay. And I've got three points. And then I'll go through each point. Is it home security? If it's home security, you gotta think of it in a couple of different ways. So if you're thinking of it as far as a dog, like let's say Major, my dog, he's an outside dog. That black motherfucker has never been in my house, but at least not allowed to. He has come in the door a couple of times and then I quickly get him out of my house, but he's a, uh, he's an outside dog. I'm not letting him in my house simply because of the fucking hair. And he's a male, and he'll hike his leg on everything in my house. He's not house trained. He's very well crate trained. He will be in that crate for 15 hours if I leave him there without peeing in it. Um, if he had to take a shit, he'd shit in it and eat it to get away from it. That's disgusting, but that's what he would do to get away from it. He's very well crate trained. And that's a very important thing that you do with a dog, no matter where that dog is ends up staying. They don't just house train a dog. You need, to have, you need to start its training with crate training, then house training. Okay? And we can get into a whole nother debate about working dogs in a house. These are not your typical dogs you go to the pound and pick up or from a, a breeder that these are going to be, you know, a lab that they're good in the house or a, a you know, labradoodle or something like that. I will never have a working dog in my house because I I I know too much. And and you'll find out quickly. If this is you, if you go get a freaking, you know, Dutch Shepherd or, or even a, a working line German Shepherd, there's a difference in German Shepherds and working line German Shepherds. If you were to go get a working line German Shepherd, you would think twice about keeping that motherfucker in your house too. You will find that out quick when they're not, a puppy anymore puppies are fine in the house i mean when they're puppies your crate you need to that's when you're crate training so you need to be around in the crate train so they need to be in your house so home security outside the house now you have two real categories of that you have a century dog century dog is probably more so what major is and more so what you would think of a dog a working dog that's outside your house he is on patrol he's you know 
scoping the scoping the property out. Make anything comes on the property, he knows it and he addresses it or not. You know what I'm saying? That's century work. So you know what a, you know what a century man is. Let's say in Vietnam, whenever we they'd have an outpost, the guy walking around with the with the AK or, or with a, you know, M16 walking around, making sure no one intrudes into the camp. That's, that's a century. Okay. Well, we have century work for dogs. Now, majority of the time that requires a certain type of dog that will act and think on his own. Um, where, okay, you don't live here. You're not supposed to be here. Now that comes with its own, liabilities if my neighbor comes over at eight thirty nine o'clock asking for some flour or some sugar it, it might be a bad night for him and be a bad life for me afterwards if he were to sue me you have to think about these things like that's why i say that do you really need one because it's not just a family pet. In fact, in the beginning, they don't need to be even looked at as family pets. I'll get into that. Um, this is a tool. Everyone gets all in the fields for working dogs like police canines that go and get shot in the line of duty or military dogs sniffing bombs and get blown up or military working dogs that got left over in Afghanistan. Yeah, it sucks. I get it. But at the end of the day, law enforcement agencies, military, government entities, look at these dogs for what those dogs are. Tools. Now, we just left $80 billion worth of fucking hardware over in, in Afghanistan, okay? Drones, fucking tanks, helicopters, more small arms than... I think now the Taliban is like the 13th largest fucking, you know, got the largest, the 13th largest arsenal in the world because of us. Well, because of Joe Biden. Okay. So they, if they left fit $80 billion worth of shit over there, what do you think they're going to do to a dog that has to be fed and all these other extra steps? It's not like throwing them all on a jet in a pile and flying them somewhere. No, there's, there's shit you got to do to keep them alive on that plane. No, they're going to leave them there. They're tools, okay? Maybe not to that extent, but you have to have somewhat of that same exact mentality. Obviously, you're not going to mistreat a dog. I'm not advocating for that. Absolutely not. But as far as whether that dog stays at your house or not, if you really need a working dog and you haven't have a need for one and you're going to go through this, then you need to have that mentality of, this dog might not stay here anymore, okay? So, well, I'm going to be touching on that later too. But you have to think about that, okay? Because this is a liability type thing. If the wrong person gets bit, hell, even if the right person gets bit. Nowadays, shit, you get sued if someone breaks in your house and they trip over your freaking rug in your living room and, and, and break their arm, they're going to sue you. And, and dumber shit has happened to where people have won that case i mean it's ridiculous but you you would be surprised and nauseous when you hear some of the things that's happened and in, in including with with dogs so you got to think about that okay all right now there's the other aspect of an outside 
working dog or protection dog is maybe just a deterrent. Okay, here is a fact for you. Criminals don't like dogs. They don't not like working dogs. They don't not like protection dogs. They don't not like dogs that will, you know, put them in the hospital. They don't like dogs, period, because they make noise. They alert. To a lot of you, that may be all you need because I'm telling you right now, if you were to come to my house uninvited with the intention of doing me and mine harm, my dog is as bad of a motherfucker as he is, he's the least of your worries because he's going to hurt you. I'm going to fucking kill you. They don't like that. They don't like being heard. They don't like being seen. They don't even like you being home. Okay? So there is, an, there is something to be said about just having a deterrent dog. Now, what is a deterrent dog? A, a, an alert dog. A, hey, I'm going to bark because there's something moving out there. I'm not going to bite a ham sandwich. I'm going to let my family know that, or, or let this person know you ain't supposed to be here, right? And bark. And, you know, if, if my dog barks at night, I'm up because he doesn't bark at shit. Like, he never barks just to bark. If, if he, and you know a different bark, too. When, you, when you're, you, you've got dogs. Most of you have dogs. If you're looking at a working dog, then you've had experience with dogs more than likely, just of any type. You can hear a bark and tell kind of what's going on with your dog. If it's a bark because they want to come inside, if it's a bark because they want to play, if it's a bark because they're hungry, they bark because they're being annoying, you know that. When you hear a bark that is a, a low-tone, continuous bark without interruptions in that bark, that's something that that dog doesn't like, he, your, that dog hears or sees. Okay, when my dog does that, all right, it's code red. I'm I'm up with a flashlight and a pistol, ready to rock and roll because that just he just doesn't do that. Okay, I think he's done that maybe twice in the last since we moved in this house in 2018. All right, I, there's nothing for my dog to bark at other than possibly animals or someone who ain't supposed to be here. So I know that. So he kind of. Yeah, he'll do something about it, but also, like I said, I, w- I want to be the one making decisions here. I want to be the one to to really be involved with whatever threat there is instead of leaving it to an animal, okay? That's just bottom line. Okay, so now that pretty much covers of a dog's job on the outside. Now, the dog on the inside. As far as a working dog goes, I can probably count on two hands, maybe, of all the working dogs that I've been in contact with, whether it be people I know or whether it be dogs that I've trained, dogs that I've sold, uh, dogs that I trained that my old boss sold. I Probably two hands, 10 dogs at maximum that I would feel comfortable having them in my house simply because they're not going to tear my shit up or at bare minimum just be a pester, Okay. Major in the house, let's say he was house trained. First of all, the hair would be ridiculous. He's a solid black, long, he's not long haired, but he has, he's a, a, a medium stock coat and sheds like nobody's fucking business. That's enough for me and him not be in my house. But on top of that, it would be very, very little relaxation, if ever, 
in my house because he was he's always on. He always wants to play. The only time he's not is when he's tired as fuck or full. Even then, he still wants to play. Even then, he wants to eat more. I mean, he's eaten 20 pounds of dog food one time because he got into it, and then he was as big as a beach ball. And I made a mistake of leaving him out, and he had access to a bag of dog food, tore it open, and buried his face in it and ate while I was not there. I came home, and this motherfucker was as big as a beach ball. I was worried about bloat. So I watched him and stayed with him for like nine hours making sure he would pee and poop. And I had a um, kit ready to stab him to let out air pressure if his stomach had flipped. If you know what, don't know what bloat is, Google it. Um, it's common in bigger dogs, even more so in dogs like Great Danes. They eat a lot. If they run, their stomach that hang below them can flip over and twist on itself. That will, if you don't take care of it, that, that dog will be dead. So that shit happens, right? So, yeah, he's not staying inside. But there are some in, in the exceptions. I'm not going to say the one in a million rarity, but more rare than common, a dog that can be pleasant, uh, a working dog that can be pleasant in the home. Okay? So, again, you have a... You have really two type scenarios. You have a dog, if this was me and having a dog in the house, it would be a dog that would only attack, only bite, only uh, engage by command. Okay? Meaning, it's like I'd rather have a pistol rather than have a landmine. Okay? I can control the trigger. You know, that, that comes from me. Or, have an alert dog. Now, that could easily be, I know I mentioned this in the last episode, uh, dog episode I covered, but that could easily be just a little whatever dog. Like, we've got a deposit. So, you all remember that, you know, I had to put Bosco down um, March of last year when I had COVID um, with, because of seizures or whatever. I, we were all COVID positive. Couldn't go anywhere. It was 9.30 at night. He was seizing. He, and he'd had seizures in the past. He was on medication, but he and didn't have any more while on medication until he did, and then he seized for two hours, and I had to put him down myself and buried him in my yard. It was the hardest thing I've had. He isn't the first one, but he was the hardest one that I ever had. I had to do that for, and uh, you know, I buried him in my yard. He was my house dog. That dog, I would literally, whoever's listening to this, I would stab you in the neck for that dog. My working dog. I can't say that. Major, I've had, he's nine years old now. I've had him, I went and got him at eight weeks old um, from Slovakia. Okay. He, I mean, I love him. He's a cool dog. He's, 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 you know, part of the family, but he, he is still a working dog. He still has that, that tool, I don't know, stigma with me, I guess. Bosco did not. Bosco was a member of my family. He went everywhere with us. He lived in my house. He slept in my bed until he got too old. Um, you know, and, and it is what it is. You know, but a dog like Bosco, Bosco was, he would do this. And right now we've got a deposit. What I was going to say was we've got a deposit on a a little miniature schnauzer because 
we're getting Jackson a dog, an inside dog. And my wife was like, all right, if we're doing this, it's going to be one that does not shed. So I wasn't going to do some of the other breeds that I wasn't even going to have them in my house just because I just wouldn't own them. But a miniature snaps are actually pretty cool little dogs. They're little dogs, but they're pretty cool. But I can imagine when that dog is of age, you know, not a, not a baby puppy anymore, if you come and make a bunch of noise in my house, she's going to hear it, and she's going to bark. Just just what little dogs do. Well, what does that do? It wakes me to fuck up, right? Um, that could be enough for you too because, again, my dog is the least of your worries when you're in my house uninvited as it would be in your house, right? So you've got, you've got those two dynamics of an inside uh, protection dog, working dog. So you've got the gun, which is the dog that will literally bite anyone on command. I'm pretty sure I could make Major bite anybody or anything on command. I mean, I could put a road cone in front of us, and I can tell him to go bite it, and he's going to just tear it to shreds. I could probably do it to to anybody as well. I mean, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but I'm pretty sure I could. <laughs> but, um, yeah, th- that that's me pulling the trigger. I would rather me think for the dog rather than leaving a dog to think for a dog, if that makes sense. Um, all right, so another thing to think about is um, if you want one, do you want it because of interest in training as a hobby? See, that was me. Uh, it, me, it was equally appealing the process of training the dog as it was having a dog that was trained, if that makes sense. So inside that, you've got, well, it could be a profession. You know, maybe it's a little side thing that you want to do. Maybe it's a career you want to do. You want a career, a career in training uh, LEO dogs and personal protection dogs and uh, being a broker or whatever. Hey, that's cool. I'll never, I'll never pay my bills on the backs of a dog. A very close friend of mine, uh, James Guillory, who was, he's one of my really, really good friends from my um, club up in Maryland. I was actually going to have him on the podcast, and I may still sometime. Um, back when I had COVID, he was going to come on, but it didn't work out with, with uh, his schedule and everything. But he, when I was looking at doing that full time, I had thought about it. I was going to. And I, I think I could have done it, and I could have been successful at it. But he he made good points to me of saying, yeah, it needs to be done. Someone needs to do it. But let them do it. Because the minute that you have to make a nut by selling a dog to pay your bills or to feed your family or to do this is the day that you're going to start making decisions that you normally wouldn't right now, meaning – would you sell this dog to a police department knowing what this dog's job could entail, knowing that this dog is not quite cutting the mustard? But you could easily sell this dog and make that nut. You could make that money to make that mortgage payment, to put braces on your kid's teeth, if, to whatever. When you do that, then you are then 
compromising who you are as a dog person, as a dog man. Because that's something that we as dog trainers would pride ourselves over is I'm not going to pass a dog off as something that he's not, right? So I guess an equivalency of that would be you're a gunsmith and you build a rifle to sell to somebody and you know it only shoots like a minute and a half at 100, but yet you tell this guy this thing shoots one whole groups. Knowing that this guy can't shoot one whole groups and he won't be able to tell you that the gun isn't up to snuff and you sell it to him anyway. What, how do you feel about yourself as a gunsmith if you did that? Now, there's probably gunsmiths that, that do do that, but none that are reputable. No, none that you think of and think, oh, accuracy, precision, great work. You know, amazing gunsmith. That's, those people don't do that, okay? So you've got to think about all of those things. Um, but, hey, if it's something that you want to do, it's an option. We got to have them, right? Police department's got to have these dogs. People that want personal protection dogs that want training. They got to, they got to be able to do it somehow. Go to somebody, right? Um, or you, okay, an, another interest would be sport work. That's one thing that I did, uh, along with training with police departments and and personal protection dogs. Stuff like that was was uh, bite sport work. Uh, PSA Protection Sports Association. Uh, APPDA, which is I was one what we called the original nine, kind of like uh, in Sons of Anarchy, um, with uh, the original nine members of Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club. We're the original nine certified APPDA decoys, American Personal Protection and Patrol Dog Association. Um, I was one of the the first nine certified APPDA decoys. Uh, we it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I loved it when, uh, I mean, I would have kept doing it if it wasn't for my back. So nothing I have ever done in my life has ever given me the pain, not even jujitsu, nor close that I got from training and working dogs. So it was all the time back issues. I mean, think about it, depending on the dog I'm working, it could be an 80 pound dog, could have been a 50 pound or it could have been a 150 pound kind of Corso or press canario um, that's pulling me down and I'm having to stand up pulling against him. Obviously a dog is shorter than me. It's grabbing me in my bicep or in my armpit area in front and it's pulling me over. Well, I'm having to fight and stand up. So there's a tug of war there and your lower back typically loses. And that's where I have the most uh, lower back issues. So, um, you know, I would, probably still be doing it today if it wasn't for that believe it or not jiu-jitsu my back has never hurt from jiu-jitsu other things have hurt but nothing that affected me like my lower back did so um yeah you, there's all types of you know training that's fun uh training the dog is fun it's fun it's stressful just like anything else just like shooting it's you know, it's not fun shooting a match and getting your ass kicked. I mean, it, but it is kind of fun. The same thing with training. Yeah, you may have a bad day of training. Maybe your dog is not. Maybe you and your dog aren't jiving that day. Or maybe you got hurt or whatever. But you're still doing something that you love to do if you love to do it. So, 
there, there's a, there's appeal to that. Um, let's see. Uh, maybe you want an all-purpose protection dog. By that, there's a couple things I mean by that. Let's say you, th- these are reasons why that you would want one. Um, maybe it is to a dog that you have one aspect is home security. The other one is, well, your security. You personally, when you are out and about. I know people who they don't go anywhere without their dog. And I don't mean a pet where they've got a little service animal, fake vest on them or whatever. They've got a, a Shih Tzu that's a, a emotional support dog. No, I mean, I, I know people that have Malinois that they literally don't go anywhere without them. Um, there is one lady in particular down in Florida. Um, in fact, she I may be getting a, eventually getting a female puppy off of her male and female that she has. But her male, um, she is a police officer, and her now ex-husband was also a police officer. Um I don't know if, I don't think this was a work dog. I think a patrol dog. I think this was her personal dog. Uh, but she's a trainer. Um, but her husband was an obvious piece of shit. And they was came to a, a confrontation of physical abuse. And allegedly, from what I hear, he was going to kill her. Until the dog put him in the hospital and saved her. And literally... The way the story goes, the dog saved her life. And she's a friend, and um, she trains with uh, another friend of mine. And, you know, he's telling me the story. And it was because he was like, hey, this is, you need to get a, a puppy off of this breeding if she does it. And, uh, you know, he was telling me the story. But she, since that day, like, she doesn't, I mean, she takes this motherfucker to the movies. She doesn't go anywhere without this dog. And it, I don't, it, it, it it's probably like a psychological thing. Like the dog saved her life and now it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have, I've never experienced that. So I, I don't know. Um, but I could see how that could happen. So, you know, I, but let's say you live in a neighborhood or your wife lives in a neighborhood and y'all like to jog or run or walk or whatever. And maybe where y'all go, maybe your neighborhood isn't the best of neighborhoods and just a security purpose. Hey, I don't just have a dog, but I have a dog with me that can actually protect me. Um, or maybe you're in a situation like a like the the lady who I just mentioned, where uh, maybe you have a stalker or something, or maybe a, an abusive you know ex spouse or whatever. And instead of having a gun, maybe you're not confident with a gun. You know, maybe it's your wife. You're not confident. She's not confident with a gun. Uh, maybe you aren't confident with her having a gun. Or maybe you aren't confident with her without something to protect herself. And she just doesn't like the idea of a gun um, or the responsibility of one. So you go this route with a, with a protection dog. Hey, it, it happens every day. So it's a legitimate reason. There's just things that you have to come to grips with that some things in life are going to change. It isn't like carrying your cell phone with you everywhere. This is a living, breathing animal that you know can't just leave in a car that's you know, turned off or whatever in the summertime. You know, there's there's all types of stipulations in certain places of taking a dog or whatever. But, hey, these these are legitimate reasons, okay? 
So if, if you fall into any of those, then okay, we can talk, right? I, I understand that. And as long as you're okay with what else is going to follow, you know, in this podcast, then maybe working dog is for you in your situation. So are you capable to train and maintain said dog? By train, obviously, a dog typically isn't going to do what you're wanting it to do without training. Training is not like, mm, let's say you build a 308, you know, uh, or let's say you got a, a 308 AI. The thing just fucking hammers. And you know, we all know 308 barrels last forever. So it shoots, you know, quarter quarter minute groups all the time. All you got to do is, you know, feed it with ammo and shoot it well, and it's going to do just fine. A dog is not like that, okay? A dog is, you have to train this dog. And it's not even just training. It's not like, okay, you went through training, you're done. You built the rifle, you built the custom rifle, and it's done, and now it does its job until the, the gun is dead. I don't know. No, a dog is not like that. A dog, it, it's literally, you train the dog, and then you keep you continue training with the dog, even when the dog's money like the money the the, the dog knows it's got amazing obedience because obedience is more important in this situation than really good bite work, um, because that's your control. So let's say your dog's got PSA three, which is a title, it's a level, uh, you know PSA three level of obedience. You're still going to have to work obedience with that dog. Um, a major's obedience is still good, was 10 times better. Uh, I mean, he's nine too, so it, there's a little bit of fuck it involved uh, for him and me at this point. But I, I obviously don't do obedience work with him every day. Um, I could get him back there. I'm sure I could. I could get him back to that level of obedience, uh, but that would require a lot of time uh, and, and effort on my part to get him back to where he was, but he could do it. You're, you're not going to train a dog and then you never got to do it again. And then expect him to exhibit said wanted behavior at the drop of a hat without follow on continuance training. Okay. That means, okay, you've got a dog, uh, you've had it since a working dog. You've had it since the puppy. The dog is what you need, and we'll get into that. It is what you expect it to be. He is trained and can accomplish what you expect of him to accomplish. And I would say that at least once a month, at bare minimum, you've got to do work with that dog. Whether it be obedience more than once a month and then bite work once a month, that would be bare minimum. It is a perishable, it's not a skill, it's a perishable behavior for that dog. The dog will always have the physical ability to do what you're, you know, once it's trained and understands what to do, it, it will always, until it's too old, will have the ability to do what you're asking it to do, what it's been trained to do. But it will not, without continuing training, it will not have the desire nor the discipline to do what it can do when you ask it to do it. And that was a mouthful, but you, I think you can kind of pick up what I'm putting down there. 
it's a constant reminder for that dog. Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what you know how to do. And this is me showing you that you will do it when I ask it of you. Okay. That's what that dog as smart as they are. They're still, they're still dumb animals. They're, they're smart, dumb animals. If you can picture that. So you have to, you have to continue continuously work on things, maybe even work on new things. Okay. There's maybe, you know, of a situation that you've been in that luckily nothing bad happened, but it made you think like, Hmm, I wonder what my dog would have done had we met conflict in that situation. So what do you do? You recreate that situation. You know, sport work, it's amazing to me, and I was going to, where was I? I actually wrote this down to do this. I'm trying to think where where I wrote it down that I wanted to bring up this point. I don't know. I feel like looking through all the pages. I wanted to bring up this point because it is so damn true. The bite sport world almost exactly mirrors the precision rifle competition world. If you remember, which mind you, I wasn't doing it in 2012, but I know obviously the history of our sport that we all play in now. If you remember back in 2012 when the PRS started and then way beyond that, like 2001 era, um, 99, 2001, like with the rifles only matches. And then after that was all the snipers hide cups and, and, and matches and, and the like. It, it, if you remember what those were like then, they look nothing like they do now. Like a PRS match circa 2012 looks nothing like a PRS match 10 years later. The matches there, most of the stages were based off of, like let's say at Rifles Only, Jacob would run a match, and the stages were based off of situations that either uh, – Law enforcement snipers had to uh, law enforcement snipers encountered, or military uh, snipers encountered, and you know Jacob did his best to recreate that situation, that scenario. Um, that's the way some dog sport still is, but most started out as so. By an example of that would be carjacking scenarios dog is in the front seat handlers in the driver's seat we're in a van, you know a van or a car or a truck or whatever the decoy the decoy is the guy in the bite suit who gets bit and in case you didn't know in a training situation the decoy is the trainer the guy that's doing the training is the guy in the bite suit you're just the dummy holding the leash i can tie a dog to a tree and get 90% done what I need to be what I need to do to train a dog. I don't need you for the most part. You're there really to for a bonding situation, a, a, a bonding aspect between you and your dog in that type of scenario. Uh, and also for to, once you get good enough to give commands to either call off to out a dog by out that means get a dog to let go of a grip. Um, 
you know, whatever. But the majority of the time, I can get done what I need done with just tying a dog to a tree or a post or something like that. The, the decoy is the trainer. But in sport, you got a carjacker. Carjacker is the decoy. He's got a hidden sleeve, meaning it's it's a sleeve that protects, but it doesn't have the padding. It does hurt a little bit, and it goes underneath like a sweatshirt, right? Um, you know, it comes up to your window, hey, hey, uh, you know, getting all kind of loud. What, what the decoy is trying to do in competition is get the dog to break, right? We want the dog to, you know, come out when he's not supposed to, when there was no real threat. So what he'll do is he'll like, hey, hey, uh, you know, I'm looking for uh, the, the closest gas station. Where is it at? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Get away from my car. Get away from my car. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then t- turns around, walks away, and then comes back as a threat and reaches in the car, either has a, in the other hand, that's not in the car. The, obviously, the arm that goes into the vehicle was one getting, well, allegedly getting bit by the dog. The other hand has like a blank gun uh, shooting live blanks or uh, will have a, like a milk jug filled with rocks on the inside and we're shaking it. We're kind of hitting the dog in the head with it, making a, a jug full of rocks as loud as shit when you got a decoy shaking it hard as hell over that dog's head. Um, you know, we're testing the dog, will this dog defend you in your vehicle? Okay. Uh, ATM scenarios. Okay. You're at ATM. Your dog is with you. Your dog should be looking back behind you as you're facing the ATM. I mean, how many, how many times have we seen that play out, right? Someone's at the ATM. A guy comes up behind them. Hey, give me the cash. You got out. Give me the card, whatever. Yeah. So that's what you're taking your dog with you to the ATM. The dog is looking behind you. Now, what happens if there's an old lady standing behind him? Does the old lady that's standing in line to get her cash out of the ATM, does she need to get bitten? Fuck no. Um, so there's no there's no threat immediately. But then the guy walks away, the guy comes back, then goes to attack you. Dog has to protect. Okay. Sh- uh, shopkeeper scenario. You you own your store. Let's say you own a, a camera store. And you have your dog in there because maybe your camera store has been held up before. You have a dog in there. I'm going to come in there as a decoy. I'm going to come in there. I'm going to be kind of loud. Hey, you got a new um, new Canon, the new Canon camera? Yeah, yeah. No, you don't have that? All right, how about give me your money, motherfucker? And then, you know, pr- produce a, a fake gun. And you got to send the dog over the counter at me to bite me, right? So maybe you have time to either get away. You have time to then get a firearm you know, whatever we, we re there's, there's tons of scenarios, but just like the PRS where today we've got, you know, stand on one foot and spin in a circle, then shoot, you know, off of this tree limb at a target 500 yards away. That's, you know, three inches big, right? You know, this goofy, unrealistic shit, but what does it do? All right. Well, no, it's not a realistic scenario, but if you can do those things, then you can pretty much, you know, shoot off of anything in any situation. Well, in protection sport, there's really goofy, unrealistic scenarios. Probably, no, definitely way more unrealistic than what we do in PRS. Uh, <laughs> I mean, example would be you got to down your dog your dog has got to be in a down left alone you're like 50 paces away and then there's tennis balls there's bite sleeves there's tug toys 
all around the dog. And you got, you know, decoys walking all around the dog in bite suits. If you don't think that dogs recognize and know what bite suits are, you're mistaken. They most definitely know what a bite suit is. So they obviously, naturally, a dog that sees a person in a bite suit, they, they're thinking they're going to get a bite. And then you've got decoys with hot dogs, tossing the hot dogs around, tossing tennis balls around them, trying to get them to break their down. And then they zero that scenario. Well, your dog's job is to stay put, and then the handler from 50 paces away throughout through a gauntlet of three decoys being absolute clowns doing goofy shit with tennis balls, hot dogs, bite sleeves, yelling at the dog, trying to get him to break. The dog has to run through them and come to a heel. All right, that is unbelievably tough for that dog. That dog has to ignore literally every drive and instinct he has to walk, run right through those decoys to a heel without, without biting, without um, deviating from the direct path from his down to you. Can't pick up a tennis ball, can't pick up a bite sleeve, can't bite a decoy who's trying to get that dog to bite him. Because if that dog bites the decoy, you're DQ'd for that, for that scenario. You zero that scenario. But what does that do? All this goofy shit, what does it do? Well, if that dog can do that, then he can maintain control in, in, in any real-life scenario that you could put him in. So, the sport is a lot of fun. It is so much fun. Uh, I mean, I, I got to fly through this. I'm already 50 minutes into this shit, and we're only not even through the first page. I'll speed it up some. Okay, uh... Now, money investment. And part of this, are you capable to train and maintain? It's not just, can you have the time to do so? That's a time investment. It's a, it's a money investment, okay? These dogs, a working dog, as a puppy, will typically range from $1,000 on the cheap end to 2500 on the expensive end for a puppy. Now, we'll get into the possibilities of said puppy in a minute. But, hey, the dog is an investment. A good dog is expensive, okay? But you don't know if it's a good dog until it's a dog. Meaning, a puppy can lie to you. Yes, I can wash out a puppy. I have washed out many puppies. Um, but I've also had puppies surprise me. I've had pup, seen puppies that well, I did, they weren't mine that... You know, Mike, who was my main mentor and, you know, dog trainer, uh, was my boss when I worked for him. We had a dog named Blazer that he was a client that, that she got a puppy, not from us. She got it from another kennel and uh, brought it in for evaluation. Dog was like 10 weeks old, 11 weeks old. And, yes, we can tell a lot about a dog at that age, um, even earlier. But... He had great nerve, and we'll get into that. I'll explain that. But he uh, he just didn't have a whole lot of drive, and he did he didn't like Major was a drive machine. Like he was and still is. He's nine years old and still acts like he's two. Um, but his willingness to go after and chase and his his prey drive was through the roof from the time he was eight weeks old until still today, nine years later. Uh, Blazer wasn't that way. 
But Mike saw something who has forgotten more about dogs than I will ever know. He said, you wait. That dog's going to be a special dog when he's when he's older. And so, all right, well, I'll keep working him. So I'm trying to work with this dog, build his drive. And as this dog got older, I mean, Blazer turned out to be a nice dog. Like a dog, he's one of the ten that I would have in my house. Like, yes, he would work. Yes, he would he would do what needed to be done when the time came. But he also wasn't a pain in the ass like Major is. So that can happen. But it's going to be need to be determined by someone much more knowledgeable than you. You know, the first time working dog, you know, purchaser uh, to be able to make that decision. But hey, a good dog is expensive. Health care for a working dog is expensive. Okay. We're not feeding them bullshit old Roy. You know, even some of the expensive stuff is not what it's cracked up to be. And you can do a whole Google dive on, uh, different food issues, blue buffalo and all these expensive, you know, Purina, um, you know, all of these pedigree, dude, I think pedigree, everyone, almost every one of these dog food manufacturers has class action lawsuits against them for what has gone into that food and what it has caused in dogs. And they're, I don't even really know how they're, I mean, this, most of it was made in China. Um, and, it's actually a running joke with the Chinese that they're killing our dogs. They're poisoning our dogs, what they put in dog food. That's why the best diet for a dog, and especially a working dog, is a raw food diet. Well, it's not really cheap, and it's kind of a pain in the ass. Major was on a raw diet for, I don't know, his first five, six years of his life. It was me going to a grocery store that had a, a big meat department, and I would order, you know, 80 pounds of chicken backs and 80 pounds of turkey necks. And then feeding him intermittently adding uh, organ meat to his diet. So, yes, raw bone, raw chicken backs, raw chicken necks, chicken legs, turkey necks. Um, you know, you can go as expensive as you want. Burger you know, whatever that bone in raw uncooked meat is amazing for the dogs. Uh, basically you want to make your life a lot better in your yard with the working dog, put them on a raw diet, um, and, and have them eat a lot of chicken backs and chicken or, or turkey necks because their poop, um, is you have a big dog with little poop and then the poop he does have It'll chalk up in about three days, and when you hit it with a lawnmower, it goes poof, and it's gone. Um, dog food, you feed them like kibble. Their dog, their their poops are going to be gigantic because why? Because what their body is wasting, it's waste. There's a lot less waste with a raw diet because they're getting food that their body is using, and the high content of bone is what makes it chalk up so much and and i mean they're so hard they bounce literally when you when major was on a raw diet he'd poop and it would bounce it was so hard now you can then go too much bone and not enough organ meat to where it becomes a constipation issue and then the organ meat they're also getting vitamins and minerals a lot of liver 
um, trite, which is disgusting. It smells horrible, but it is amazing for a dog. Um, hearts are still a muscle. It's a muscle meat. Your heart is a muscle. It's not an organ. Um, liver is the best of the organ meats. But that will also loosen their stool some to where they're not having a problem with digestion and really elimination. So, you know, but that is not cheap. And not only is it not cheap, it's not easy. It's not convenient. Because what I'll do is I'll get this giant box of 40 pounds of turkey necks. And I'll get two of them. Well, they're, it's frozen turkey necks. So what I do is I let them thaw for a little, for almost thaw completely. And then I individually bag gallon or as big a bags that I can get, like uh, Ziploc bags. I had to buy an entire freezer, a chest freezer for dog food. So I would then break break it all up into gallon or gallon and a half, two gallon size bags. And then, okay, for that week, I'll take out one, uh, one full freezer bag full and he'll eat that for the week. Um, so an, like a 70, 80 pound dog typically got three pounds of raw food per feeding. Um, it obviously is not the same with kibble. It's more food for raw diet, meaning they're getting, it's getting, it's more volume, but their body is using it and it's not waste. And it's also not going to bloat them like kibble will. Um, so yeah, a money investment. Obviously, training is expensive. The, the dog is the cheap part. Buying the dog is the cheap investment. Almost like a boat. Buying the boat is the cheap part. Putting gas in it, maintaining it, all the things that go with it, that's the expensive part. The insurance, pulling it, where are you going to pull it to, the, the trips that you take on it, that's the expensive part of the boat. Until you get to like a, a, a really expensive boat. Well, no, even so, the hell, but gas in those fuckers is, is ridiculous. But yet, buying the dog is the cheap part. The training is the expensive part. Some trainers will like break stuff down for you, pay them per month, and you go twice a week or train them, or, or they charge you per training session or, you know, all of these the different ways. Or you pay up front, you know, you're going to pay $6,000 or more for just the training of your dog. That doesn't include the price of the dog. Um, if you go the route of buying a fully trained adult dog, you're going to pay 10 to sometimes even ridiculously high, depending on what you want and where you're going to. You could pay $100,000 for a dog, believe it or not. That's, it's absolutely robbery, but people are stupid and they do it. Um, I've got a story that if I have time that I'll tell you about that. Um, let's see, uh, personal sacrifices of like travel and activities and locations that a dog can be, you can go on trips with a dog. You can't just have a working dog and go on a two week trip vacation to Hawaii and leave it at your local vet, you know, boarding or whatever boarding kennel. No, if you can board a working dog, but it needs to be boarded at a place that handles working dogs. It doesn't just be, or just let, let your dumbass neighbor kid come take care of your dog while you're gone. You could do that with a lab. You can't do that with a working dog. Like, would you let that kid come clean your loaded firearms? No, you wouldn't. The same thing with this, because he could kill or hurt himself with that dog, 
or somebody else. Dog gets loose, goes whatever. These dogs are not, they don't have switches that you can just flip off and now it's a normal dog and flip it on when you want it to be a badass. If it's a badass, it's a badass all the time. Okay, you have to remember that. These are these sacrifices. These are you have to plan things around having this type of dog. That's why I'm always like, if you can get away with not having one, don't fucking get one. So, um, yeah, there's that. Okay, are you willing? This is the, this is the this is probably the hardest aspect of all of this. Believe it or not, and you have to be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me. I don't give a shit. You have to be honest with yourself. Are you willing to wash a dog out? Okay. It sounds not that big a deal. To some it is. You literally have to have the mindset of if this dog is not what I need or this dog would not proficiently do the work that is going to be asked of him in the situations that could be potentially asked of him. Are you willing to get rid of that dog? Okay. You got kids, you got a wife that, oh, you see his cute little German Shepherd puppy or, you know, heaven forbid you got a Malinois puppy at uh, eight weeks old. It's cute, cuddly, sweet, does funny stuff. And then when the dog is six months old, shows you what it really is or eight months old or a year old, that dog shows you what it really is. You've had this dog, this dog has been in a money, time, and emotional investment for the last year. Are you willing to say this dog is not going to do what we need it to do and then get rid of it? By get rid of it, hey, maybe donate it to a department. Maybe the dog has got crazy hunt drive, which would be perfect and good nerves, but just isn't willing to fight. I had a dog like that. She would bite. But as soon as shit got real, she would dip. Her name was Catfish. And she was a solid black Malinois. And now, in the place that I'm in now, I would love to have Catfish. She had the most solid nerves, as far as environmental nerves, of any dog that I've ever seen. She would go in, on, under, around, inside, uh you know, open over anything and with any type of distraction, she didn't care. Where I saw some Johnny Badass dogs that would rip your throat out that wouldn't walk inside of a Lowe's because of the automatic door. Okay, that's important. I was planning on getting on that. But the point is that Catfish was that dog. But when the heat got a little too hot for when she was on a grip, she would start to move down. Oh, we call it pianoing. If Imagine the dog biting your bicep, the inside of your arm. And then when pressure got put on her, she would slowly munch and chew down the arm towards the hand. That means she wants to still bite you, but she wants to get away from your center core and your face as far as she can while still biting you to where she would go down to your hand. Okay, that is not the dog that I want. That is not the dog that I want with me in a life or death situation or protecting my son situation because she's not there. She's not fully in it. Okay. Major will die on that grip. Catfish would not. She would spit and dip if it got too hot for her. So 
She had crazy hunt drive. We put her on explosives, donated her to a department up in New Hampshire as a bomb dog, single-purpose bomb dog. Now, they said they are going to try to make her a dual-purpose dog. I said, you do that, and you could potentially get her and or her handler killed. I have nothing to do with that. I do not condone that. I'm giving her to you as a single-purpose explosives dog. That is it. And I don't know. They changed her name to Xena. Look, Xena better be a badass. Xena's a warrior princess. She ain't no warrior princess. Catfish was a kick-ass name for that dog. Uh, she was a goofy, fun, I mean, amazingly athletic, small, fast as lightning, amazing environmentals, awesome hunt drive, ball drive, all of these things she was great at. And that's why now I wish I still had her because now I got her for a breeder and I was not going to breed a dog with those types of issues with, you know, the bite work. You know, you breed what you want to produce. That's not what I want to produce, so I had no use for her anymore. I got rid of her. I looked at her as a tool. I loved the dog. She was cool. She was kick-ass. But I was able to wash her out after a year. She was a year old when I finally washed her out. Okay, then I had two others that I washed them out at different times. One, she was she would fuck you up. But one day I was at my office. I took her to my office. Someone in the parking lot, pretty close to us, we were walking up into my office. Someone slammed a car door, and I saw her about jump out of her skin. And so I said, we're going to exploit this a little bit. We're going to explore this when we get home tonight. Okay, because that's a thing. Sensitivity to loud noises where they'll be scared, okay? She had crazy food drive. So she would bury her face in that bowl when it was time to eat, which is great. That's We, we use food drive. We want food drive. Major's got a ridiculous food drive. Um, probably more so than anything is food drive. I fed her. I had her face down in a bowl eating her dog food, and I had a, a dog crate on top of another dog crate so they're stacked on top of each other. While in the garage, while she was eating, so I was probably 10 feet away from her, I kind of picked the top crate up and kind of just basically dropped it, just the front side of it, the end of it, just dropped it down to the one below it and made a loud noise. She come out of that bowl fast and looked at me, kind of cut her eyes at me and slowly went back to eating. I said, oh, hell no. I did it again a little bit harder, and she did the same thing. So, all right, well, all or nothing. So I went and got my agitation whip. It's a whip that we use to, it cracks really loud. So the noise is what we use. So now we will tan a dog's leg with it. I mean, in when we're testing and putting pressure on a dog and checking pain thresholds, we use that. Now, it doesn't, it don't feel good, but it doesn't, like, injure them. Um, but I took that agitation whip and cracked that bitch loud as hell and she went out of that bowl and straight under Courtney's car, hiding. I said, you just wrote your ticket out of my house. She was probably six, seven months old at the time. That is genetic. I gave her to a friend of mine who kept her. She was that way. I don't even know if she's still alive now, but um, I'm sure she is. She's still alive. Uh, she's probably seven at this point, seven years old. Yeah, she's alive. Um, she's that way today without noises. That does not change. 
You cannot fix that. That is genetic. We don't pass those down in genes when we breed. So uh, the other boondock, uh, her name was boondock. I named another one boondock. Says love that name. Thought it was awesome. Um, she was a little Malinois that uh, great, pretty good environmentals, um, good grip. But if you picked her front feet off the ground while she was on a bite, she'd let go. As soon as she got her feet back on the ground, she'd re-engage. But as soon as her front feet came more than a few inches off the ground, she'd spit. She didn't like having her front feet off the ground. Their feet is a sensitive thing. Their feet can be. You can grab their feet, kind of pinch their toes, you know, while on a grip, while on a bite. If they don't like that, they may come off. That's something I don't want. We do that in testing dogs. Um, and you just had to pick her feet up off the ground, and she didn't like it. I gave her away to a family here because she was – young enough to she had didn't have enough bite work to be an issue. Um, you know, in the hands of a non working dog family or whatever. So she she was probably a amazing pet for them. Probably a pain in the ass, but you know, she's still a sweet dog. You have to be able to wash these dogs out. Otherwise you may can have done enough training with this dog to where they're potentially almost like a, a half cock gun. Um, that maybe they put you in a bad situation, whether you get into a bad situation and they're not going to help you or, you know, heaven forbid they bite the wrong person, a nerve issue. They bite, uh, like a kid in the face or something like that and maim a kid. Like there's no telling you have to, you have to be able to be honest with yourself and, and, and do these things. Do they truly have, uh, the, what it takes to, to, to fill that role? to be that dog. Um, do you truly have what it takes to, to wash that dog out? Do you truly have a need for a working dog? Cause you may be forced to make a difficult decision, um, to either keep or get rid of a dog. So, um, you may be in a situation like I was with finding a breeder and I washed out multiple dogs. Guess what? I paid for each one of those dogs. That was at least $1,500 a pop every time. So that's $4,500 in dogs that I didn't even keep. Are you willing to do that? Yeah, I looked at one major. I mean, you're more than likely, if you get a work, even if it's a working line dog, which it needs to be, don't just say, oh, you're a German Shepherd, you're a working line. That's bullshit. 90, 99% of the dogs in my town, Greenville, North Carolina, no matter the breed, I don't care if it's a pit bull, Great Dane, uh, Rottweiler, Doberman, German Shepherd, don't care. Bulldog, 99% of them, I will run them out of their own house. Because we do it. We have to say, hey, we want to train our dog. Okay, we'll evaluate your dog. We're going to evaluate your dog at your house. I'm not asking the dog to bite me. I'm asking that dog to stand up to me at that point. Because they don't know how to bite. They've never been trained. Oh, they, they don't know how to bite. They have teeth. It's like, does that dog bite? Does he got teeth? Yeah, okay, then yeah, he bites. That's any dog. But he doesn't know how to, he's never been in a situation before where he's confident in it, right? I'm there to test the heart of the dog, the will of the dog. Will Does he have the will to be trained to do this? Way more times than not, we informed them, your dog does not have what it takes. If you need a dog that does that, we can help you find one. We can sell you one. Your dog does not have it. Some didn't like that, and they 
So they go to some other place that said, oh, yeah, we can train it. And then the dog ends up shitting the bed and, and not doing it. But they took that trainer took their money. So, y'all, I was going to get into this later, but I'm going to get this out now. The dog, the dog business is probably the dirtiest, ugliest business there is next to horse trading. Horse trading is way worse. The dog business, making your living off the backs of dogs, can make you do things that you normally wouldn't have done if it was a hobby. Um, selling, taking people's money when you don't know. Hey, there's shooters. There's, there's instructors that do that, shooting instructors. You go take a class, and you know more than the guy teaching the class. That happens all the time. And hear Kalen and Phil talk about, hey, if you're seeing these certain things, you need to be sus as fuck. You need to be suspect of this person's uh, qualifications. Um, it's definitely that way in the dog world because you don't have to have some type of you know college degree to be a certified dog trainer. No, you don't have to be. There are certifications and courses you can take, like schools you can go to. The Tom Rhodes School is one. Um, Tar Heel Canine has another in North Carolina and Charlotte area. Um, Mike uh, Bullock here in Greenville at Bullock's Canine, he has a course that you can go through, and, and you know, they're an accredited thing, but you don't have to do that to say you're a dog trainer, right? So you just need to know that. Um, all right. It takes time to truly evaluate a dog. It's not going to be... Now, it could be the first day you see them because when you're picking a dog, you don't need to be picking them. You need to have someone who knows what they're doing to because you don't know what to look for. But they do, uh, allegedly, and they know what to do. If you've got someone who actually knows their shit, they know what to look for. But there are things you look for at as young as eight weeks old. Um, I picked Major at eight weeks old because he showed behaviors that I wanted to see. He was the only dog out of the entire litter that was off by himself chewing the metal end of a bicycle horn, you know, go honk, honk. All the other dogs were chasing, playing the playing with the kennel owner's daughter, you know, their kids. They're, all the puppies are chasing kids. So that Major was there by himself, chewing a dog horn, the metal end of a dog horn, meaning he was not, He first of all, he wanted something in his mouth. Secondly, the thing in his mouth was not very forgiving, soft, um, satisfying. It was a hard metal object he was not scared to have metal we test dogs with copper pipes will a dog pick up and hold a copper pipe most dogs will not they'll pick up a rubber bone or a ball or something like that yeah no problem will they pick up that copper pipe the copper pipe do i care about copper pipes no but their willingness to pick up that copper pipe if i make that copper pipe come alive and that's what we have here hey i got a toy here play with it if he'll play with that then he's got enough drive to play with anything to where I can make anything a reward for him. So it's important. Um, Major had that, exhibited that. I said, that's the one I want. And Mike said, good, because that's the one that I was going to pick for you. Um, I didn't have the final say-so. He did. Even though it was my money, Mike had the final say-so. I told him he had the final say-so. Um, but he said he asked me, which one out of this letter do you think? I said, that one. He said, why? I said, because of that metal horn. He said, and he's off by himself. He has, he has the ability. He doesn't need a person to enjoy himself. His pleasure from chewing that metal horn did not come from somebody. It came from the, himself. He could self-entertain. Not, not for entertainment. You know what I mean? Like He didn't need the person to make that thing come alive. 
he just wanted it and possessed it and wouldn't let you have it. That's good. That's possession. That's what he wanted. And that's what he saw. And I was learning. It was like a Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. Um, let's see. You must be objective in examining a dog before you buy it and after once you've bought it. Otherwise, you'll be susceptible to what we call kennel blindness, meaning what that term comes from is you got a guy who has a kennel, it has 10 dogs in it, he's got to sell them, uh, or he's a, maybe he's, for you, it'd be you attached to the dog. You've spent, you've invested money and time in this dog. You will make excuses for their shortcomings. You have to be objective and say, that is something that is a problem. Not, oh, well, he'll grow out of it, or, oh, it's not that bad, or it's not that important. No, it probably is important. And if it is, then you have to be able to be objective enough to point it out, recognize it, and do something about it. Um, all right, training itself. The training is hard work. It takes a lot of time. It's very frustrating. And there's injuries involved. You, I can't tell you how many times I've been bit. I can't tell you how many times I've been bit by my own dogs uh, or by other people's. When I'm doing the training on the dog, I get bit when I'm not supposed to get bit. Most time, it's my fault. Most time, I get a little too close and too comfortable with a snapping mouth coming at me, and I'm trying to get cute, and I've gotten caught. You know, it's speed is your friend. <laughs> if you're a dog trainer, speed and timing is your friend. And if you don't have those things, then you're lining yourself up for an injury. All right, let's see. And again, training is money. Training is expensive. I bought a van. It was called a, a minivan just to haul my dogs in. I called it the bike bus. In fact, I still got the lice, the uh, personalized North Carolina license plate, bike bus, over there on my wall here in my reloading room. Um, I bought that van and tore out all the seats, all the everything out of it, just to fill it with kennels and bite suits, dog toys, Stuff like that. Stuff I needed. Um, all right. In your selection, your priorities are in this order. Health. By health, that means obviously looking at a puppy or a young dog. If it's not a puppy, if it's like a green dog. A green dog is a young dog probably from the ages of eight months to a year and a half that has very little, if any, training at all. That's why they're green. Kind of like a greenhorn, you know, type of a description that's what a green dog is um, but not a puppy puppy right a, a dog that you can actually really start their training um, health of their parents of the puppies meaning you need to see x-rays of hips and elbows of um, and if you don't know what you're looking at you need to get send them to someone who does know what they're looking at um, whether it be a vet or a dog trainer that has been that knows and has done enough x-rays to know what they're looking for um, but, uh, you know, just general, it'd be skin health, hips, elbows. Those are typical things that you want to be looking at. The willingness to work. That's the second over anything. I don't care if the dog is ugly. If the dog is willing to work and do the work that you're going to ask of it to do. That's what you want. If the dog is healthy. Great. That's what you have to have. You have to have that first and foremost. Dog's healthy. Then the dog has had the willingness to work. Okay. Then the breed of the dog, the breed is nowhere even close to first. 
the breed is definitely uh, third tops. Uh, there are certain breeds that we we typically go for for this. That's your herders, not your like you know Australian shepherds, not your you know cattle dogs, stuff like that. But not you know none of those, not collies, but your Belgian Malinois, your Dutch shepherds, your German shepherds. Um, you know we do we do a lot of uh, pit bulls of my club, and pit bulls were created not for that they were, they were that breed was created for dog fighting, so typically we use game dogs. By game dogs, were these are dogs that were bred to fight dogs, illegal whatever. But game dog lines, if sometimes you can't, but if you can channel that that aggression, that the animal aggression, channel it over to man, they become amazing working dogs. In fact. Probably the best working dog that I've ever worked and ever been around is James, my buddy. I told you about that in Florida. Uh, his dog is named uh, Slick. A pimp named Slickback is actually his name, but uh, it's Slick. And he is a 100% black, 100% uh, game-bred pit bull. Um, and he is one of the hardest dogs on the planet. Uh, that I I don't know of any dog harder than him and but the problem with him though he's his drive is so crazy he kirks out and kind of sees red his control was his lacking it was not his willingness it was not his nerve you could literally stab this dog you'd have to kill him to get him off of you but then again he can lick a little kid to death like he was a he was a stable dog um he wasn't a real liability um unless you went and you know messed with him while he was in his crate. Then he would kirk out and probably would kill you if he got out of that crate. Um, but he was, I love Slick. Slick would jump in my lap, lick my face to death, and we were, I, was, I would stay with James up at my, when I'd go to Maryland, um, D.C. area, uh, for a you know, training weekend. Um, and he'd let Slick out, and Slick never had, never had no problems with Slick. Chopper, on the other hand, his other dog, which is a half pit bull, half Dutch shepherd, which probably he's probably my favorite dog um, of all times. Uh, I knew his father as well, who was the, the Dutch Shepherd. Um, Chopper bit me a couple times. Chopper was a ticking time bomb, but he's a cool dog and um, amazing worker, and probably sired some of the best working. The, he sired for sure the best litter that I've ever seen where every dog out of the litter, male and female, were amazing dogs and killers. Most of the time, if you got a litter of 10, four of them will work good, five are washouts. That's about an average litter. Give or take some, either way. Uh, they had a litter of like eight um, and was the best working dog litter. It was Chopper and a Presa Canario named uh, Jetta. They were... They they produced the best band dogs, which band dogs are like basically working mutts. Um, that's the best litter I've ever I've ever seen, and some of the best dogs I've ever seen. So you know, the breed isn't. I mean, hell, band dog. I mean, you don't know what they are unless you bred them, and and their parents. So the breed isn't that important. There's breeds we definitely gravitate to, and definitely breeds that we gravitate away from but 
you know, there's don't, uh, I'm only want this or only want that. No, go for a dog that checks all the boxes off, no matter the breed. Um, all right, then color, aesthetics. That's the least thing that matters. Like, if I see a pairing, uh, a, a, a sire and a bitch that I want to litter off of, I don't care what they look like. That I want a puppy off the litter. Um, I don't care what they look like. I want them to work the way I want them to work. Maybe I care about their size. Like if I want to, I don't want a very big dog or if I do want a big dog, which is very rare. Um, you know, I would like, okay, well this will like will have like 55 pound dogs in it. I need like a 75, 80 pound dog. Um, that'll come to account. But most of the time it's just workability. What their willingness to work, you know, stuff like that. That's weight. Color is if all things else are the same, but which one is better than me looking at? That one's prettier to me. Cool. I'll take that one. And then the last uh, priority is location of the dog. I've shipped dog, shipped, gotten dogs shipped me from all over. Slovakia, Czech Republic, Holland, Texas, uh, Illinois, Michigan, Florida, Mexico. All kinds of shit. I've had them come from everywhere. So that's that's not important. But it's get the dog that you want, especially if you can go see the dogs. If not, have someone better than you who knows more than you go see the dogs. They need to be doing the selection anyway. Um, let's see. What to look for. Health in their x-rays, like I mentioned. Um, skin disorders. Environmental nerves. What? Okay, so what I want to talk about was different things that you want to look for that these are nerves. These are genetic. You cannot fix this. My mom has a dog right now, Jocko, who would who will tear you limb from limb. But if his life depended on him going up or down a set of stairs, he would die. He is terrified of stairs and slick floors. Now, he would get to a point where he'd go up the set of stairs at my mom's house in the garage. He'd finally, after three years of living there, finally would work up the nerve to go up and down those. But if you take him to a different staircase somewhere else, starts all over. He will not go up them. He will not go up. You could pick him up, carry him up them, and leave him up there at the top of the stairs and put a T-bone stake at the, at the floor on the ground, ground level. He will not come down the stairs. Um, so stairs, slick floors, uh, heights, just heights on top of anything. Like you could pick them up, put them on top of something. They're terrified. They're shaking. They won't move, whatever. Uh Front, like I mentioned with uh, Boondock, her front feet coming off the floor. Loud noises, like I mentioned about the other Boondock. Water hose, like water pressure, like being sprayed with water. Some dogs, they'll be gangsters on a bite until you take a water hose, spray them with it, and they're going to spit and run. But I've seen it. I've seen it. We use that in in uh, trials with uh, sport, uh, sport work. We use water hoses. Um, leaf blowers, we also use leaf blowers. They don't like getting blown in the face with wind. That doesn't mean they won't stick their head out of a window of a car, but something making noise blowing at them, they, they don't like them. It's crazy, but it's a thing. Automatic doors. Believe it or not, I've seen Johnny Badasses that will not go into a Lowe's because of that door opening. and it, the, the inanimate object moving is what scares them. So it's not like they can... It's the doors themselves because they're moving doors. No, it's because they're inanimate object that they cannot, that they know it's an inanimate object, that they cannot justify or rationalize in their mind of why it is moving. 
Okay, that's it's a thing. Um, the, the the automatic door is just an example. Um, so those are the environmental nerves that are important. But the the big things. There's more. There's tons of more other options, but these are just examples of things kind of like that. Drive, prey drive is paramount. The chase, the chase. I want to chase it. Put my mouth on it. Kill it. Not even necessarily eat it. Major kills, coons and possums and snakes and moles and stuff all the time and does not eat them. He drags them on the porch or leaves them out in the yard for us to find. Um, you always know he killed them because they're crushed in the middle with dog slobber all over their fur. Um, prey drive is everything. Now, you're going to hear the one thing that two dog trainers can agree on is that the third guy is doing it wrong. That's just plain and simple. Let's equate that to shooting. Running a barricade. If you feel like, man, nope, putting my hand right on top of my scope to, to steady that rifle is the best way to shoot a barricade. The next guy will say, nope, getting a uh, sight clutch or the baker wings or whatever other thing you can put over to the side to hold it there. Um, that's the best way to shoot a barricade for stability. Now, then the third guy says, nope, it's C-clamp around the barrel or around a shroud if you've got like a full-length handguard. That's the best way to do it. That's the best way to uh, you know, mitigate, recoil, and shoot a barricade. They're all different, okay? The difference is is that that's something that we can probably really uh, um, prove one way or the other through technology. You can't with dog training because why? It's a living thing that can't talk. He can't physically communicate with you in the means of speaking, writing, he can't tell you what he's thinking. Now, you can make a good guess of what he's thinking um, and what's going on upstairs, gears turning, but you can't know for sure. It's kind of an art. It's not really science. It's more of an art. Um, but you have some trainers that say defense is paramount. And the way that me and my ilk, my, my training partners, my club members, my mentors – he needs to be able to go to, to have the willingness to defend himself. Okay. There's, here's the difference. I need a dog with the willingness to defend himself, but I never want him to go into defensive drive. Here's the difference. Would you rather have a dog who thought he was so badass that you or what, no matter what you do to him, you are still prey. So think of a lion um, attacking and killing a water buffalo. Water buffalo is one of the most dangerous animals in the whole on the whole continent of Africa. But what does a lion do? Lion eat water buffalo. What do water buffalo do? They fight back, right? Do you think that that lion, the the big male, do you ever think that the tide is ever turning? to where he feels as though he's not the king of the jungle. I'm not saying they're always 100% effective or they're always 100% kill rate. I'm not saying that. Yes, they can run them off. That's because, well, that thing literally did it. But wouldn't you rather have a lion who still saw everything as prey, no matter what it did, no matter what weapons it had, no matter how hard it fought, it still views you as prey, 
as opposed to, oh no, I, I've got to defend myself or I'm going to die. I got to get out of here because I don't want the I don't want the thought of running to ever come across my dog's mind. Defensive drive, the only thing keeping well in in prey drive, the only thing keeping you as a or the dog in the fight is the level of their nerve. How badass do they think they are? And then how strong is their nerve to keep them in that fight? Because if a dog ever gets into a fight or flight scenario, that then it's all nerve after that. Where in prey drive, if with, coupled with strong nerve, that dog never has the idea of flight ever crosses his mind. That's the dog I want. Now, prey drive without nerve turns into, oh, no, this is not a game anymore, or this isn't fun anymore. Uh, I better get out of here. That's why prey drive is paramount, but nerve is the most paramount. Defense, a dog needs to defend himself. By that, the way we do is what we test is we tie a dog out. Handler ties a dog out to a tree or building or a post and leaves the dog by himself. And he's out by himself for 10, 15 minutes until I come out as a decoy by myself. No handler around. Daddy's not around. Mommy's not around. It's just the dog. There's major barking right now. Um, there's a, there's a, a man that's acting really creepy, and I'm being creepy. Like, I'm walking kind of like a stalking, creepy motion and or notion, and let me tell you something right now. Dogs pick up on that. Because if I say, hey, wave at the dog, start jumping up and down, doing cartwheels, the dog don't really care. He's thinking I'm a goofball. If I start slowly sleeking around and hiding and stopping and turning and looking at him and then keep moving and then going back behind things and popping back out, that dog knows that's not normal behavior. And they either light up. They light up if they've got any nerve at all or drive at all. Or they'll, what the fuck, and they'll try to get away from you pull on that tree as hard as they can, um, you know, trying to get away. So what we will uh, do is then is I will then get closer and closer to that dog with no equipment on, so there's no bite suit to where they know, oh, this is fun, this is training. No, no, no. I'm going to make this dog think it's me and him, and this is a life or death situation for him. And the longer that dog stays there, coming at me, popping off the end of that leash, the better more snapping, barking. I don't want to see a whole bunch of teeth, like as far as the curling of the lip, because that's typically a sign, a defensive sign. I don't want to see that. I want to see that dog sees me as a gigantic steak. Okay, and he wants to shred me because he hasn't eaten for three days. That's what I want to see. I don't want him to see that I'm some big boogeyman, and he's showing me that, okay, well, I'll stay here and fight, but I'm not happy about this. I don't want to see that. The more that dog is sitting there popping off that leash at me, bouncing off the end of it, and they actually do that. They'll bounce and they'll rebound. And they'll come back up and hit, keep snapping the end of that leash. Um, you know, I'm doing all kind of scary shit to that dog. Sometimes I'll put on, like, scary shit. Like, I'll put on, like, a, a ghillie suit. Or uh, like an alien. We had an alien mask that for some reason drove dogs berserk. 
I can't tell you. We had a police department that's local to us that bought uh, two dogs um, from somewhere else, and they brought them to us because they didn't think something was right. And I ran both of the dogs. One of them ended up taking a loose, like, diarrhea shit and laid in it right there at the end of that leash. He just shit and laid in it, trying to get away from me. Like, melted into the ground. Obviously, they well, they wasted their money, and they ended up buying two dogs that were amazing, Bart and Zico. Um, they were amazing dogs. So, um, But anyway, that happens. So that's what I want to see. Now, For uh, that's just for the protection work. You can't have a loose cannon and not have control. So ball drive and food drive. Food drive for when they're puppies – um, we'll build ball drive as they go. The more they show, the better, but we can build ball drive. Food drive is, hey, that's how I can mark behaviors, like with a clicker. You've seen clicker training. Some people think that's, no, with puppies, I don't do it with adults. I do it with puppies. Clicker training is amazing for puppies. This kind of stuff, even you can learn to do. There's Learberg DVDs, the Learberg Academy. They've got, DVDs from some of the best trainers like sport uh, Mondio and French ring trainers in the world do obedient, all kinds of obedient stuff. All that you can learn. All it is is practice with timing and food and short sessions. We typically do however many months they are. That's how many minutes. If they're a seven month old dog, their obedience session is only going to be seven minutes long. If they're three months old, they're only going to get a three minute, um, training session maybe a couple of them a day but each time there was a lose interest burn them out leave them wanting more okay so these these that food drive is paramount so that they will then do the behavior that i'm shaping because we're shaping behaviors they don't know what a sit is i'm making him sit because i'm taking food that he he drastically wants and i'm holding his i'm bringing it above his nose well he can't go so far without sitting on his butt as soon as he sits on his butt, click, he gets payment. He gets food. Okay, then soon I'll pair it with a, I'll just do the behavior first. Then I'll start pairing it with a command. Sit, seats in, whatever. Um, whatever language I'm doing. I know German commands, French commands, Czech commands, Spanish commands, uh, French commands, Dutch commands. I, you know them all. Um, but whatever you're going to do, so it's going to be sit, is, you know, eventually when they do the behavior, you say, sit, good, sit, whatever. So you're using this food. If they don't want the food, you can't use the food. How are you going to shape a behavior if you don't have something that a dog wants? As a puppy, as an adult, it's completely different because then you can do negative or positive punishment. What negative and positive means is adding to or taking away. Negative means you're taking it away. So basically, what is neg- what's an example of negative punishment? Um, let's say I've got an e-collar, which you stay away from e-collars until you know how to use e-collars because you could ruin a dog with an e-collar. But if I have an, e- uh, an e-collar, I'm going to zap his ass until he does what I want, and him doing the behavior is what stops it. Positive punishment is I'm going to hit him when he doesn't do what I want him to do. That makes sense. One's I'm taking it away. One is I'm putting it in there. But that's not important, neither here nor there. Um, but you know, you gotta have what you gotta have something the dog wants for him to 
be willing to display a behavior that you want him to do. It would be a sit, a stay, a down, a heel, a controlled heel, a, a focused heel, um, jumping on something, going to a bed, like place a place command. Like if I say place, that means jump on your bed, get in your bed, lay down. Crate command. Hey, crate, go to the command. I can be across the yard and tell Major, crate, he'll run all the way across the yard, straight to the garage, go to his crate because that was ingrained in him. Um, but you have to have something that he wants. At a young puppy age, it's always best for it to be food. When they get older, use it for a ball. Ball, ball is life. A major will do anything for his Kong or a bone or really anything. Anything that I make come alive, he'll do anything for it. Um, a water bottle, whatever. He'll do anything in the world for a water bottle if that's what I pick up. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Then, all right, com- um, next thing you look for is compatibility. More so with a young dog, like a green dog, not a puppy, because, I mean, puppies are puppies. They love everybody. But with a green dog, if you go that route, you need to make sure you two get along. You need to make sure that he is the character of a dog that you'd want to be around. And if it's a puppy, you know, somewhat of a puppy, you need to make sure that you can, you'll enjoy having that dog around. If that dog is an absolute terror to you and you can't stand being around a, a terror for, cause major was a terror. I can handle it. If you can't, then don't get the dog because it's not it's a recipe for disaster. Um, and for a green dog, a dog that you're not scared of, this is a, a young adult dog. So a year and a half, two year old dog, um, you got to make sure that you're not scared of it, that you're not scared to give it a correction. You're not scared to take something away from it. Um, you wouldn't believe how many times we've had officers that had dogs their, you know, their first few weeks with the dog and they won't correct the dog with a leash. Like as far as popping a, a choke collar, because they're actually scared of the dog. That's either because of, of a problem that they have or a problem that the dog is exhibiting that the dog seems aggressive um, to corrections or whatever. You can make sure you're compatible with the dog. As far as training goes, find a reputable trainer. You need to like look for search for references, talk with uh, either departments that bought dogs from them, uh, ask for references um, for personal protection dog owners, someone who else that's just like you that want a personal protection dog. Ask them, hey, what do you think about your dog? What do you think about training, getting the training from this person? Make sure that their past experiences uh, and accomplishments um, warrant them getting your business, but also you trust them as a trainer and you trust them to conduct business with them, that they're not a shyster. Because I'm like I said earlier, this business is full of thieves, liars, charlatans. They're full of them. It's scary. And that's one of the problems with this world. And what I always tell these people that are coming to me, ask me about, hey, think about wanting to work a dog, about getting a working dog or a protection dog. And it's one of the things I tell them, hey, you got to be careful who you're dealing with because he could have papers on one dog. We call it hanging papers. You take papers from another dog and put it on another dog saying that this dog came from this litter when it really didn't. It's called hanging papers. Um, the dog world is dirty. It is just all around dirty. Um, you got to hopefully find someone to help you navigate your way through it and you know, find people that you trust. Uh, clubs, sport clubs. 
That's a good way to do it. Go to a sport club, like whether it be a, a Schutzen IPO club, which is, I hate Schutzen, but it's popular. So there's a lot of them. Um, yeah, PSA club, a Mondio ring club, a French ring club. You can Google all this stuff, and then you can also YouTube it and kind of see there's a lot of dog training videos on on YouTube. Um, not or there is some that you'd like learn stuff, but just to see people training their dogs, to kind of see what it's about. Kind of like seeing uh, the NRL videos of them shoot of coverage of matches, right? Or the um, Armageddon uh, Cup, the AG Cup. Like that's you can if you've never shot a match before and you see you watched Armageddon Gear Cup, then you can kind of get an idea like what is it like to shoot a match or footage of a one day match. Or whatever you know, maybe maybe some of Phil and Kalen's or Frank's footage or uh, Jacob's footage about you know shooting precision rifle. There's stuff like that for dogs and protection dogs, sport dogs, especially sport dogs. Um, let's see, where am I? Oh, you need to have a training plan. So create a training plan. All right. So every day I'm gonna work five minutes of obedience with the dog and then play with it. Let it exercise. These dogs need exercise. They, if they don't have jobs, they get into trouble. And either it manifests itself in frustration and um, aggression or in mischief, tearing your property to shreds, chewing the outside of your house, chewing the freaking bumpers off of cars, your inside of your house, furniture, baseboards, clothes, socks, shoes, anything that they can literally wrap their teeth around, they'll do it. If they're not tired and they don't have an outlet, that's the one of the biggest things that I have to tell people is they have to have an outlet. Whether you're tired or not, whether it's raining or not, these are not just normal pets that will sit around and watch Netflix with you. Yes, they may be able to do that, but nine times out of nine, they need to be tired, meaning that means you work them. They did something, no matter what it is, but just run. They make dog treadmills. Put them on a freaking treadmill. Seriously. I mean, that's a great one. Um, you go run with them. Maybe get your fat ass off the couch and go run with them. Playing catch, fetch, uh, two ball. Two ball is if you have a dog that has a hard time giving you the ball, maybe you haven't finished working the out, which, like I said, the out is them letting go of whatever it is their mouth is on, whether it be a person, a ball, a tug, a sleeve or something, whatever. Um, two ball is a game that it's a dangerous game because you can kind of create a habit, but starting out, you can set, you throw one ball, they go get it. When they get the ball and turn around, and see you, you make the other ball come alive. They come to you, drop that ball, and then you throw the next ball, right? So it's like a conveyor belt of, doll, of balls for the, uh, dog to constantly go get, um, the dog's got, needs to be tired, needs a job, needs something to do when it's not, you know, actively working it's kind of something to do otherwise it's going to be a pain in the ass to live with at the best case scenario otherwise it could be a, a dangerous scenario to where a dog it manifests in aggression and bites somebody it shouldn't or a bare minimum growls at somebody it shouldn't um let's see yeah so you know also you need a set amount of days that you're going to go get training with the professional so every, you know, Thursday evening or Wednesday evening or Saturday afternoon, um, if you can do Saturday and like a Wednesday, that's what we used to do. So we had all of our, our um, 
protection dog clients, non-police officer clients, they would come on Wednesday mornings and Saturday mornings. Like every Wednesday and Saturday, rain or shine. If it was raining, we would go somewhere indoors. We had plenty of places we could go indoors that we could do training um, when if it was inclement weather. But rain or shine, we had training. Um, and we would even train out in the rain sometimes. So, um, but yeah, a younger dog equals a younger, a shorter attention span, the shorter of the training session needs to be. And a good trainer will tell you that and will, will you know, will do that when they're doing training, when you're with the, the trainer, it will be short sessions for, for young dogs. The older they get, the more they can handle. Make the training fun. The training needs to be fun. If it's, if you're yelling at the dog all the time, the dog's not going to want to train. It's not going to work. If you're not, if you're miserable to be, be, to be around, they're going to feel it too. Um, so make the training fun, especially with the young dogs. These dogs know nothing. You have to teach them. You and the trainer have to be the one to teach them. And it's very, it's, it's a frustrating thing to do. It really is. It's not, I will never say this is easy. Once you understand it, it's still not easy. It's just easier. Um, uh, again, stay away from e-collars uh, until you are an accomplished trainer yourself and you're not going to ruin your dog. Um, do not do any grip work, meaning anything that they're actually putting their mouth on while a puppy is teething. Usually that three to six month age, you'll see teeth start dropping. Do not do food. Food training is fine. Maybe ball training is fine, no problem. But any type of grip work, any type of training where they're biting onto anything and pulling, do not do that while they're teething. Not because of their teeth. I don't care about that. It's because their teeth are going to fall out anyway. It's because I, you do not want them to associate pain with the thing that you're wanting them to learn to do, which is if their mouth hurts when they're gripping it, they're not going to want to do it. And if it's a weak enough dog, or a dog right there on the line, it could cause them to not want to bite at it when it's not hurting. They associate that pain they felt with that activity, and they don't want to do that. So when they're teething, perfect time to work on obedience. Perfect time. You're not, you're not, uh, the, the bite works the fun part. That's the fun stuff. So once you get into this, if you want a dog that bites, you're obviously going to be getting into the, the bite portion of it, that's the fun, that's the real fun training. This will make you focus on the thing that you really need to focus on, which is the obedience and the control. And you're not tempted to spend way too much time on the bite work to where they are no longer able to concentrate on the, and learn in the obedience because they're tired. You overworked them bite work. Now they're not, they don't have the willingness to, to learn and do the do the behaviors that you're trying to shape and create. Um, that's all. I, that's my five pages. There's more to it. Um, so we're at hour fifty. Um, equipment. I, I'll stop at equipment. Equipment you'll need for working dogs. So for a puppy, you're you will spend a grip on equipment. So you will need a flat collar to to tie a dog out. With if if you ever tie them out to something like a, a little runner, um, to a tree, to whatever, they need a flat collar, just a normal collar with a buckle that goes around. 
when they're young, young, like eight weeks to three months, they're or probably even beyond that, depending on the dog, six months probably. They do not need a choker, a pinch collar. They need to do obedience pretty much off leash. You you could not put a leash, as long as you're in a safe environment to do it. You could do your obedience work off leash completely because you are shaping, they're following you with the food. Okay, so they're going, if they, if you did a, your due diligence and you have a puppy that has good food drive, then they're going to want to be wherever the food is. If you've got the food, what I used to, I used to have like an apron from like a, like Home Depot, like the employees would wear. It's like the little carpenter's apron. I have it with pockets or whatever. I'd have dog food. I don't use bones. I use their food. Their food is also their treat. They earn their food. They work for their food. You don't feed a dog before you do the training. Then you need to go to training with a hungry dog. There's no point in giving them to their fill and then expecting them to do work for more food. You have them hungry, okay? They eat a lot of their food because they earned a lot of their food, and then whenever training is done, you can feed them the rest of it, okay? Um, but uh, once they get older, they'll need a choke collar, like a Herm Springer um, collar, and a pinch collar. You don't have to do a pinch collar. Pinch collars work. What pinch collars do is and, and uh, choke collars. There's a difference. Google it, pinch collar. They have the, the kind of like the barbs that kind of go onto their neck. And then when you pull tight on it, they bite down. Well, what it's doing, it is emulating a mother biting the nap of the neck of a puppy that got out of line. So even in the wild with either African wild dogs, with wolves, with dingoes, any of the sort, in the pack, when even even adolescent males, like young males, not puppies, but young males, the mothers, sometimes they'll try to breed their own mother or their sister. The, the mother will bite at their necks. They'll bite around the neck, and it's just checking them, putting them in check. That's what that is. That is what that pinch collar and choke collar is designed to do to emulate you pop it you don't grit it and hold it and pull it into where they're choking there is a place for that this for certain things but not yet you're not there yet with the dog just for a correction you'll pop it because that emulates biting the nap of their necks so you'll need that you'll pry you could need a harness not to walk the dog on do not walk your dogs on a harness I love, I love seeing people with a dog of a bigger size that's got some weight, got some strength, that they don't understand why they're getting pulled around like a sled dog when they've got a leash attached to a harness. It's because that is building drive. They are unknowingly, unwittingly make reinforcing the behavior that they're trying to stop. Okay. When you got a dog that wants to pull, they will pull. And the more resistance they got, the more fun it is for them. That's how we build drive for anything. If we're trying to, if we got a dog that we want to build a certain prey drive for like a ball, a toy, a sleeve, we will literally put it on the ground in front of them, have them between our legs facing the toy, and I'll, sm- I'll hold their harness or their collar, and I will smack them on the butt, get them all excited, go, oh, yeah, yeah, good boy, and they're digging. 
and I will pull back. I will pull back and pull back, and they are digging harder and harder and harder, and then when it's time for me to pay them, I let them go, and they get that. Me pulling it back is what's building that drive, and what I'll do is I'll get a little closer to it, a little closer to it, and I'll kick it and move it away like two feet. I'll kick it two feet a little bit further away. It going away from them and then pulling against me it is what is building the drive. So walking your dog on a harness is stupid, and you see it everywhere you go, every dog park, every boardwalk, every PetSmart, PetsPlus, Lowe's, all these retards walking their dogs on harnesses. That's not what harnesses were originally invented for. Now you got all these fur mommies. They think walking a dog by the leash on his neck, by a collar, whether it be a pinch or a flat collar or a, a choke collar, thing is inhumane. Well, let me ask you this. If I put that choke collar around your neck and I've got the other end of the leash and you take off running and I don't move, or if I do move, I go the opposite way as you. What is going to happen to you? It's going to catch, pull tight, and you will go right on your ass. If you're a dog, same thing. And I think that happens enough. I'm, I'm smart enough. I'm going to pay attention to more so where you are and try to keep myself from getting caught that way. Okay? So you can let a dog correct himself. You don't even have to do, no, 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 no. No, let the dog correct himself. You, the dog does that enough, you, will, you don't even have to say a word. As long as you stand fast, as like stand up straight like a pole, or you go the opposite direction, and they get caught at the end of that leash and do a backflip, it didn't, it didn't feel great. But they, they will learn very quickly. All right, well, maybe I need to stay closer to him and not go running away from him because every time I do that, I get put on my butt. Or my head. They they put two and two together. So you need those collars. And you need a good leash, a good leather leash, about um, a half-inch leash, um, eight-foot standard. Long line is great to have, like a horse lead um, for doing stuff just like things what we used to do. The, the Keller method is basically you have a big square um, area like, uh, 50 yards by 50 yards, you know, square and cones, okay, in the corners. You're walking to each cone in a corner. Whenever that dog goes away from you and does not pay attention to you, you turn around and you go the opposite way as fast as you can, holding that leash tight to your chest. And that dog is going to get slung and flipped and put on his ass. So that dog, that's teaching the dog on it, letting him figure out on his own of how he needs to do it. And then you can kind of fine-tune it. It's really great to have that with a long line, to do that with a long line, like a 20-foot horse lead. Those would be nylon, whatever. Uh, horse leads from like Track Supply or any type of feed store has those. Um, and another good thing to have is for puppy work is a flirt pole. You can make one or you can buy. They have like a horse. You ever seen like the old timey movies where they're using the horse and buggy and you got the guy on top like a covered wagon he's got like a long little whip it's like a long thin stick it's got like a little thin string hanging from it it's kind of like a whip what we do use it for is called a flirt pole we'll put something tie something on the end of it and we'll stand up and we can make that thing come alive and kind of like cat toys um they make cat toys kind of like that 
um, and the dogs, the puppies chase it. What are you doing? You're building prey drive. You let them miss it, and then they go for it. They miss it again, and they miss it again, and finally they get it. Oh, and then you play, you reel them in like they, they've got one end of it. You're reeling them in, then you play tug with it or whatever, and then it's up to you what you use on the end of it. They've got all different types of toys and lightweight stuff. You need something that's um, animated that can that can come alive and be interesting and appealing to the, to the dog. Um, but once they get older, you know, like jute. Uh, jute is a really big material that we use. Um, that's what the outside of like an IPO uh, bite sleeve is made out of. It's made out of jute. Um, they make jute tugs and pulls and stuff like that. You can use that on the end of it. When they're younger, you can even use like an old sock. You know, something to come alive that you can make flip and flap in the air. Uh, all types of stuff. Flirt poles are great. You know, um, a dog age and size appropriate balls. Can't have enough of them. But they don't need to have access to them unless you are working with them. You don't want to take away value of the ball. Right? So if you had a nice sports car... If you drove it every day, it would probably lose a little bit of its appeal and value to you, where um, to you as the owner, than it would if you only got to drive it on, you know, every third Sunday when it's pretty outside. You would look forward to driving that car more because you don't get to do it as often. It's like sex, you know, sex is awesome when you're when you get it. If you ain't getting it a whole lot, if you got it four times a day, it'd probably lose its luster. Same thing with toys and because that toy will eventually turn into the dog's paycheck. That's what you pay the dog for or for or you pay the dog with for a behavior that you're teaching that you want. You pay him with that. So it needs to keep its value. It doesn't, they can't have access to it at all times, you know, any time of the day. Maybe some toys, but not ones that you're going to use as rewards. Um, like Kongs. Kongs are a big one. Uh, get ones that when they get older and bigger, the black ones, they're a lot harder to chew up. A red one lasts like no time at all with Major. He will have it into 30 pieces in a matter of five minutes. The black ones last a lot longer. Um, I'm trying to think. Tennis balls, stay away from tennis balls. The glue from the seams in the tennis ball will actually um, decay, mess up their dog's teeth. Uh, rubber balls are great, not... Uh, racquetballs, maybe when they're young, but when they're older, racquetballs won't last. So, other they make dog specific balls. So, LearbergUSA.com is a great place. Uh, EliteCanine.com, it might be EliteCanineUSA.com. There's a lot of a lot of places online that sell working dog related products, whether it be leashes, collars. Harnesses, um, pull, uh, Herman Springer collars, toys for puppies, DVDs. Like I said, any of the Learberg DVDs are great uh, source of information of all types. There's how do you raise a working dog puppy, how to play tug, the power of tug, the power of the heel. Um, there's countless. I've got like 20 of them. Um, I don't even know where they are, but I've got 20 of them. And they're they're an amazing source of information. Uh, that's about uh, the the gist. As long as you know what you're getting yourself into before making that purchase, to where one you're spending the money, two 
bringing something like that into your household, it could be toxic. Meaning if no one's happy because the dog is a terror, tearing everything up, then nobody's happy. You've got to know what you're getting into and you've got to be able to handle it and deal with it because it will get better eventually. It just takes time. Um, and you also have to understand and be willing to accept the very good possibility that the first dog you get is not the dog you'll end up with. You could be lucky and land on a stud right there from the beginning. It's not super duper rare, but it definitely isn't the norm. And if you're being true to yourself and true to what you need, you'll have the ability to say, all right, this this isn't working out with this one. Yes, we've had fun with the dog and it's a sweet dog or whatever. He's pretty or she's pretty, but we uh, we need to look elsewhere. So let's rehome this dog to someone who knows what they're getting into and knows what this dog is and knows what this dog isn't. And that's work too. That's working in of itself. That's a pain in the ass to do, but you have to be able to do it. Um, if there's anything, if, if someone is listening to this and in, in truly on the cusp verge of making this commitment, because that's what it is, then feel free to email me. And if you have any questions that I can answer, I'll be happy to answer. If there's any help that I can do as far as sourcing a dog or recommending a kennel, um, I can do that whether it be stateside or in Europe. If, let's say, you've been doing research for a while and you're asking about, uh, let's say, if it's like a Dutch breeding of, uh, you know, Malinois or whatever, I know the majority of the dogs that you're going to want to see in a pedigree because that matters to an extent. It really does matter. Um, There was dogs that I wanted certain traits from and so I look for dogs that passed on those certain traits that are kind of famous breeders, um, like not the person, the dog itself. Django, uh, Django was one of them, not my Django, but a dog named Django. He was uh, Malinois from Holland, and he was famous because he sired a bunch of good dogs, and the reason why is because of his dad, Duco Two. Duco Two is quite possibly produced the more the most elite dogs on the planet. I That doesn't mean it's a guarantee. It means your chances are better. Uh, the boondock that was scared of having her feet off the ground, she had Duco to her pedigree five times, meaning he was in her pedigree five times. That's awesome. That was one of the best well-bred dogs I've ever seen. But it just didn't work out. That happens. You can have two absolute, like, amazing dogs, a bitch and a sire, a bitch and a stud, that are phenomenal. And then you put them together, and puppies are shit. It happens all the time. And then you've got two dogs that are unheard of, no one really knows about, that other than a few select people, and they and they know what they produce, and they produce absolute monsters. Or in a... That I mean that in a good sense, like the kind of dog you want. Um, it happens, but you can have an education and make better choices and decisions. I know dogs, uh, 
you know, that what they typic are are typical of producing. Um, the Van Leeuwen dogs, uh, the Dutch Shepherds, uh, the Van Leeuwens, um, they are amazing breeders. The Van Leeuwens are um, they're in Holland and they have produced some absolute monsters. Competition and police and military, their their dogs are the real deal. And I might be looking at a Van Leeuwen. I don't know. I might be looking at a Van Leeuwen uh, Dutchie when I'm ready to pull the trigger on getting another female. So I, that's one of the ones that I've always wanted. I've never gotten yet is a Van Leeuwen dog. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, feel free to reach out. It is just F and send it PC at gmail.com. Send me any questions or inquiries you have. I'll see what I can do to help. But this episode has been a long time coming. I didn't expect it to be two hours, but here we are. A typical just F and send it. Um, length podcast so uh, this Sunday I should be recording with the PRS UK guys and um, yeah we're setting that up we're five hours behind them I wanted to do it the other night but it was it it'd be rude of me to ask them to do it at night because it'd be super late their time so we're gonna do it Sunday uh, you know morning ish and uh, I think it'll be a great episode and, um, yeah, still haven't forgot about Andy and them. And, you know, I got some other people going to line up to get on. I th- think I'm going to end up uh, going on back on uh, to Kaylin and Phil's podcast. We'll be talking about it this week, trying to nail down a day. Um, so I'll be on their podcast. So if you're not already, just go subscribe to their podcast. It's the the one I listened to today that Kaylin, the, the solo podcast, that it was a hot wash of his latest mountain. I forgot what. Uh, course it was but it was for a a law enforcement agency like mountain course and it was an amazing podcast that he did and i i enjoy it and then before that was phil solo i hope they 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 put out some more solos not because i don't enjoy i love the dynamic having them two on but just it would i think it'd be a higher frequency podcast if they're not having to both coordinate their times and schedules um they can kind of get it in when they can fit it in um individually and then get it in together and and have a, an awesome podcast with the two of them and either just be the two of them or whatever guests they have on the one with the um the guy that went to ukraine was a, a pretty cool episode i really enjoyed it. I, d- I dug that episode um so go give them a follow give them a subscribe and, and make sure you download their their podcast um anyway as always guys thanks um i, I could do some precision rifle talk but i, I think i'm just gonna leave it as a uh a dog episode so I, I think it's only the second one i've really done and i've been asked m- multiple times to do more of that so i uh, hope you enjoyed it i hope it helps somebody i don't know how many people would have helped but if it helps one it was worth doing it it was just a little bit of time to do it so about an hour writing and two hours of talking so anyway look for the next episodes coming out and uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and to download don't just stream it download it that way i can see the interaction and hey, always, you know, love comments and suggestions and, and, you know, tell me I'm awesome. Tell me I suck, whatever you feel. So until next time, guys, catch y'all on the flip.